0: This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands Associates helping you get out of debt. I'm Elaine Scullin. So this segment's about debt solutions for business owners. Um, and I, w- when I was preparing for this segment, Blair, reading through all the things to pay attention to, boy, oh, boy, you really have to know what you're doing to be in business these days and just managing the regular stuff, let alone uh, getting yourself into a situation where there's a lot of debt involved and now you've got to take some action. Um, so before I go to you, I just want to say that this segment's about the common mistakes, and there's plenty of them to avoid. Avoid in dealing with business debt and where to get help in managing that debt.
1: So Yeah, you Yeah. You really set set it right when it's so complicated to be self employed. You know, there's no crash course that you have to take to become self employed in Canada. There's nobody that sits you down and says, you know, here's the lay of the land, here's where people get in trouble. Uh my wife, one of her friends, was studying to become a realtor and I looked at the textbook, it was about seven hundred pages long. There was not one page in there about make sure you pay your GST, make sure you pay your income mm-hmm. tax, your installments, and every realtor that I see, that's their issue. Um, is that they were really good at the front end of the job, of the selling, but the administration side of it. And with CRA, you know, they're nice people, but they have requirements. So, um, you know, it really can be a case where people can be really good at their day job, but it's not knowing all the requirements, the intricacies of how things can work with business and with debt um, that can really trick people up and get them into trouble.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah, because it is complicated. I mean, just looking at being a realtor, uh, you know, the payoff is enormous, especially in the market that they may be in. Mm-hmm. If it's the lower mainland or anywhere in British Columbia, at least the southern half of the province. Um, so can we talk about sort of the basics uh, when it comes to business debts? What are the things yeah. that we should know?
1: Yeah, exactly. So let's start, you know, really at at kind of nuts and bolts. The first thing when a business owner comes in and sits down with me is I'm trying to understand what's the structure of the business and where does the debt liability truly lie? And that can be different depending on how the business is set up. So in in Canada, there's three types of small business structures or three very common types of small business structures, and they each have advantages and disadvantages depending on the owner's goals and objectives. And typically, when you're setting up a business, this is the time to really invest, get your team, you know, figure out the accountant and the lawyer that's going to give you some good advice from the start um, rather than just you know picking something and going with it and, and like learning a, a little bit later that you've set up your business in the wrong manner. So the three ways to set up a business, first off is a sole proprietor. And this is definitely the most common way to go, and it's the simplest way. Uh, And what that means is essentially you, the owner, uh, and the business are the same entity. There's no legal separation. The assets and debts of your business are also your personal assets and your debts. So, you know, a simple person operating, say, a fruit stand on the side of the highway, they're typically set up as a sole proprietorship. It's very simple. Um, you can have bigger, larger, complex businesses as a sole proprietorship, but it's definitely the simple way that most people default into first off. Um, a less common structure is a partnership, and that's where two or more people are combining resources in a business. They might establish some formal terms and become a partnership, which is not too difficult to get that underway, you know, sign a partnership agreement. But what's really important to know, and a lot of people don't realize this when they go into a partnership, is that each partner is personally responsible for the debts of the business and they share in the liabilities of the actions of the other partners. So if you're in a partnership with somebody and suddenly they incur a whole lot of debt uh, into the business and they can't pay, because you are a partner and because this happened as part of the partnership, you can find yourself liable to the extent of all of your assets to more than what you ever wanted to invest into the partnership. So most of the time, people that are are in partnerships, you know, they're very sophisticated, they know what they're doing, they've gotten good advice. Um, Folks that I see that have went into it without that, um, sometimes they have had some bad outcomes by not understanding, you know, the shared liability. Then a partnership definitely less common than a sole proprietorship. Uh, Probably the the one that's uh, most common, more so than a partnership, but less than a sole proprietorship, is an incorporated business. And this is what a lot of people think of when they say, I'm going to start my own business, is, you know, they decide it's going to be, pick a name of a company, XYZ Incorporated, or XYZ Limited. And what that means is that it's a separate legal entity from the owner. It takes a little bit more time to establish, and it's a bit more costly than setting up your other structures like a proprietorship or a partnership. But theoretically, this separation of being a separate legal person that can reduce or eliminate some of the liabilities that you might have incurred um, as a sole proprietorship or a partnership. We're going to to go through those in a little bit more detail during the segment here.
0: When I first looked at uh, joining up with somebody to do a, a, a business together, I, it was always about well setting up something that's going to shield us from liability mm-hmm. or one of us or both of us. And um, it's kind of interesting as we start in this next part of it is that there really isn't anything that shields you from complete personal liability Or, or am I wrong about that?
1: No, you're absolutely right. And that's a key misconception that people have. They think, you know, I've set up an incorporated business. That incorporated business is a separate legal entity to myself. Therefore, if that business gets into trouble, I'm going to be scot-free as the owner. There's nothing I need to worry about. And that's just not correct. There's a bunch of things that can happen. and That's what we're going to outline a little bit. But that idea of misunderstanding your personal liability, um, that can be a huge factor that, you know, can really surprise people, both positively and negatively. Sometimes they find they don't owe things they thought they did, but more often people think that they were shielded, and it turns out they actually did have some personal liability. So a few of the areas where this can start to arise um, is in collecting and remitting GST. So, if a business earns more than $30,000 of revenue in a year, uh, the person or the corporation or the partnership needs to register with CRA and obtain a GST number to file those returns and to make the remittances. There's only a few areas where that doesn't arise, so some, a few uh, distinct occupations, but for the most part, if you're over 30000 you need to be collecting GST. And if you've got an incorporated business, if that business owes GST, you as the director of that business owe GST. So it's not the case that stops at the business's door. And obviously with a partnership or a proprietorship, you owe that GST directly because the business isn't separate. But that's one that we see a lot is unremitted GST.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, and I just want to throw in at this point to uh, Blair. So if there's someone who's listening to this segment and goes, oh, boy, I was thinking about doing this or I've already done it and now I'm in trouble and there's debts and, and I don't know what to do. If you've heard enough already and you know that you need to talk to somebody, I, I can't encourage you enough to give Sands & Associates a call at 1-800-661-3030. So Blair, going back to the segment, what are some of the areas of personal liability? I guess they'd be almost like crossovers that you see uh, when you're talking to somebody who's owning a business.
1: Mm -hmm. so definitely gst that's that's a big warning sign so as, as you mentioned elaine if someone's listening and their business owes gst it's definitely worth getting some advice and understanding you know this is personal debt and what can you do about it another big category is payroll source deductions so if you have employees if you pay salaries wages or even if you give a taxable benefit to an employee you must take source deductions from that amount which you then need to report and remit to cra and what i mean by source deductions are cpp contributions um EI premiums and federal and provincial income tax. So anyone that's working as an employee, when you look at your pay stub, you've got your gross amount and then you've got all these nice deductions that come off and then you get to your net. Um, Your employer is responsible for making those deductions and if the employer doesn't make those deductions, it's a personal liability to them regardless of whether it's a corporation, a proprietorship or a partnership. So alongside GST, payroll deductions are one of those debts. It's kind of the worst of the worst you can owe as a business because the way CRA looks at it is both with GST and with source deductions, CRA says, well, this was never your money, business owner. This was money you were paying to your employee and had to hold back for the government, or it was money you collected from your clients to, to pay the GST. So the government usually doesn't have a whole lot of patience. If you if you put up a significant source deduction or GST debt, they might act very quickly against you, start to see some assets or take some very aggressive collection action. So uh, definitely, if you have those debts, it's worth reaching out for help.
0: Yeah, absolutely. From personal experience, uh, many, many, many years ago, a company thought that they didn't have to be responsible and put the onus on the employees. And boy, were they wrong. And it really hit some employees hard because, of course, then they had to uh, cough up their share as well. So, yeah, it's uh, it's not a good situation. What are some of the common mistakes that people should avoid when it comes to their business debts? Are there some common things that we can do or that somebody can do?
1: Well, there's a bunch of things that you should try to avoid, and so kind of the inverse is what you should do. So, the thing to avoid is avoid procrastinating, you know, thinking that the problem is going to solve itself, um, thinking that if I just ignore this, if I don't open the notices from CRA, they'll just go away. So, the longer you wait, it's often the fewer options you end up having. And as a trustee, I know I can have a much better uh, job of negotiating with CRA to do a consumer proposal, uh, even for some of these, you know, really difficult business debts, if the person has acted early and they've been good, they've done all their returns up to date, that the person has stopped filing returns for a couple of years, hoping Sierra won't catch up with them, it becomes that much more difficult to deal with the debt. So definitely not procrastinating is very important. Another one to really avoid, and this is so difficult, but you have to be careful if you're continuing to inject personal funds into your business. So, you know, a business is often, you know, it's like your baby, it's your child, you want to see it succeed, you just want to give it everything it could possibly need. And sometimes it's during some consultations where we sit down, we look at the numbers. And we say, you know, outside of your personal contributions to the business, this hasn't been viable for, you know, know, three or four years. So you really need to have your eyes wide open that all you're doing is transferring your net worth into a business that's just not making you money. So be careful if the only way you're getting things paid is by continually injecting personal funds. Um, You know, the last one here is just if you're continually borrowing more money. So whether it's from you or from a bank, if you're having to inject funds continuously into the business, uh, that's usually a big indication that something is not going Uh, the way that it should and you you might be heading to to a bad outcome.
0: Got it. Now, I know that that it's, uh, you know, you are from. You work at, at Sands & Associates. You're a key player within the organization. And obviously, uh, if somebody has had any of these situ or in any of these situations, you guys would be the best people to call if, if somebody's tr- going to try to take on dealing with this debt and then dealing with uh, CRA and dealing with these other bodies. Because really, you're it in terms of uh, the people who are able to do this work. Work uh, mm-hmm. legally and been mandated by the federal government to talk to CRA to assist somebody. So tell us tell us how you do that and and what your process is.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Elaine, you, you said it very well there. If you find yourself in this situation, a lot of times people think it's hopeless, that there's nothing they can do. They think that they know that, hey, no one can ever reduce a government debt for GST payroll or whatnot. A trustee can help you with those things. So uh, we do consultations every day with people that are self-employed, you know, basic proprietorships to partnerships, to even corporations with, you know, numbers of employees uh, will still meet with the directors and, you know, outline all the options that they have. Uh, people are generally surprised to learn that there are things they can do if they act early, if they work with a trustee with CRA. But if you're trying to come at it yourself, CRA might give you six months to pay off whatever the balance is, and then they're going to start collecting very heavily. So make sure you reach out, you get a good consultation with a licensed insolvency trustee and figure out what you can do.
0: And, and we know that you're not alone in this. A, a lot of people are struggling at all different levels, and, uh, it's just such a good action to take. Um, I also want to mention, too, though, your website, which is so good, sans-trustee.com. It's filled with good questions and answers for everybody, whether it be personal, uh, personal situation or company, uh, situations, and you need some more information. But the best thing you, you, you can do is give them a call at 1-800-661-3030. Get that consultation set up. Find an office near you. And, of course, you're doing everything virtually, so uh, very, very um, uh, open and, and ready to help folks. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. I'm Elaine Scollin. This is a great segment: ten things to know about personal bankruptcy, and it's really like ten facts about personal bankruptcy that you might not have known. It's one of those crazy, scary words uh, that you think it's one thing, but actually, it's a whole bunch of other things. And it's and it's different in British Columbia than it would be in Alberta, right, Blair? Like, are it, it, we have different rules? Each province has different rules.
1: Yeah, that, that's right, Elaine. So the legislation is federal, but it interacts with a bunch of provincial regulations. So for example, uh, in the province of BC, if you've got a home and there's some equity, you've got a certain amount that's exempt. If you file for bankruptcy, uh, if you're in Alberta, it's a different amount that's exempt. So from problems to problems, it can be a little bit different. Uh, but the overall proceeding itself, it's generally a federal rule, but again, it can be quite different on where you file.
0: And if it's something that you think, oh, I'm in this alone, nobody else, nobody knows anything about this, they won't be able to understand my situation, um, we know, just because I've been hanging out with you for a while, Blair, how common it is for people to get professional debt help from a licensed insolvency trustee.
1: You would be amazed, Elaine, uh, the people that come through our door. It's literally all walks of life. Um, I've had people i have assisted with bankruptcies that went, have went on to be federal members of parliament. Uh, who run successful medical and legal practices, uh, all the way to folks who are in their 70s or 80s and, you know, just carry debt into retirement. And now it's just, you know, stressing them out to no end. So um, you're definitely not alone if you're facing financial challenges. Um, in Canada, the rate of bankruptcies is about 4.6 out of every 1000 Canadians. So on a, on a yearly basis, about half of a percent of us um, end up seeing a trustee for a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy. And what that means is in 2019, which is the most recent stats, it was over 140,000 individuals filed either a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy. And in the province of BC, it was around a thousand people a month uh, were visiting a trustee to file either a bankruptcy or a proposal. So odds are someone in your life has had to restructure their debts. You may not know about it because bankruptcy is generally, a very private process and you're only notified if you're one of the people who's not getting paid. It doesn't go in the newspaper, but it's definitely something that more and more Canadians are taking advantage of to restructure themselves.
0: Now, do I already know the answer to this question? 2020, that that data, those numbers aren't in yet for you. Um, is it considerably more? Is it hugely more? Or, you know, where where did 2020 sit with these kinds of numbers?
1: Well, and that was what was fascinating because... It. Yeah. January and February of 2020 were crazily busy. They were the busiest months we had ever seen. And, you know, the market itself seemed to be going up about 15 percent year over year, which is quite large. So we thought, okay, a lot of this debt that's out there is it's starting to reckon. Um, And then the pandemic hit and insolvency filings. Obviously, it was no longer a top priority to file a bankruptcy or a proposal if we're all in lockdown and, you know, just trying to survive for periods of time. And then the government stepped in with some great programs like the Canada Emergency Response benefit, and creditors came forward with payroll deferrals. So bankruptcy actually went to a 20-year low uh, during much of 2020, but it started to recover very recently. The numbers are definitely starting to come back because government supports are becoming less and less, and creditors are starting to collect again and take people to court.
0: And people are, are sort of doing what they used to do or start caring about things that they used to do, I bet, hey?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's coming back to normalcy, so to speak.
0: Okay, so we're thinking lots of people in the province chose to reach out for help and obviously we saw those you saw those numbers in 2019 looking at consumer proposals and bankruptcy, but it's still a bit of a road for folks to arrive at the right professional like a licensed insolvency trustee and the processes aren't very well understood and that's what this segment's all about. So can we talk about some key facts about bankruptcy and and you know who's eligible and and what that might look like for someone?
1: Yeah, so I think we've got 10 here, 10 things to know. So let's see if we can get through all 10 in today's segment, and some of them might be a little bit quicker or slower than others. Sure. Uh, the first one is the creditor permission is not needed. So sometimes that's the first thing I say to individuals when they start to talk about bankruptcy is, this is your decision. You don't need to get permission from anybody. You can't be denied this remedy. No one's going to show up and say, no, I don't want this person to go bankrupt. I want to be paid. Their, their views just don't matter. So bankruptcy is your right as an individual in Canada if you owe more than 1000 thousand dollars and usually people owe a lot more than that before they file but if you owe more than a thousand dollars and can't pay it as it becomes due you have the right to get relief by filing a bankruptcy no permission is needed
0: okay what about what's uh what's the next one that you sort of see a lot of
1: well, so the second one is people have a misconception that you know filing bankruptcy is very difficult. They've got to source out a lawyer. They've got to pay the lawyer a bunch of money as a retainer. They've got to do some court applications. And the reality of this is that in Canada, only a licensed insolvency trustee can help you file a bankruptcy. So we used to be called a trustee in bankruptcy, which is very descriptive of what we do, but they broadened that title to be, you know, it's all about insolvency proposals and bankruptcies. But the first step is to sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee. Uh, Every trustee will meet with you at no charge, no obligation to explain the law to you to help you fill out the forms that you would need to fill out. And then the trustee will execute those forms with you and then file it with the government to start a bankruptcy proceeding. So you don't need a lawyer. You don't need to apply to court. You don't need a bunch of money up front to access a bankruptcy. You just need to meet with a trustee.
0: Okay. Before we continue on, I just want to throw this in here, too, that, that it's so easy to do. If you're all, if this is already speaking to you loudly that you need to take some action, give Sands and Associates that call. It's a 1-800 number, 661 3030 661 3030 Or go to the website, sands-trustee.com. Now, you already mentioned that $1,000 minimum debt. And is that just in British Columbia or is that something that's a national number?
1: Yeah, that's a federal... number right in the law and again the bankruptcy uh, law was written back in the 1930s the Great Depression when a thousand dollars is probably equivalent to, you know fifteen to twenty thousand dollars it was a very extreme amount to owe um, you know as of now I don't have many people to file for less than you know ten thousand dollars of debt but sometimes people at five thousand dollars if their income is very minimal and the stress is just overwhelming then people can file a bankruptcy for small amounts of debt the legal minimum is a thousand practically it's closer to five is usually the smaller bankruptcies that we see um, but It could be any amount of debt as long as it exceeds $1,000.
0: I think this is an important aspect, too, of bankruptcy, is that um, getting a hold of you and and putting Sands & Associates into action, it stops the creditor contacting the person.
1: That's right. So when you file for bankruptcy, it's so important people realize you will get relief. So just by law, the day you sign the bankruptcy documents, uh, you no longer have to deal with your creditors at all. The trustee steps in the middle, basically like a referee, and explains to you to successfully complete the bankruptcy, here's the things that you have to do, and explains to the creditors that now that the trustee is appointed, there's what's called a stay of proceedings, which means they can't take any other actions, they can't call you, um, send you emails, demand payments, start any court proceedings. So you stop having to deal with your creditors, you just deal with the trustee after you sign a bankruptcy document.
0: And this covers all types of debt. Am I am I right about that?
1: Well, virtually all type is what I would say. So any type of debt that you think should be restructured um, generally can be restructured in a consumer proposal or in a personal bankruptcy, which we're talking about today. Now, the only ones that can't be restructured are if, you know, a court has awarded um, a fine against you. You can't go to court. You can't file a bankruptcy to get out of your court-imposed fines. Um, Things like alimony or child support, you can't file a bankruptcy to get out of those obligations. But I meet very few people that would want to get out of those obligations. Usually it's the case if we can restructure uh, all of the other debts that are holding the person back, they're then in that much better stead, better uh, position to be able to pay the child support and pay the alimony on an ongoing basis. But other than that, you know, general business and consumer debts, credit cards, lines of credit, overdrafts, payday loans, um, debts for a business that you've guaranteed, even personal debts tax debts, student loans. It's just a long, long list. It's a a shorter list to say what can't be included, which again, is just your support and maintenance obligations and anything imposed by the court.
0: Now, the other big fear part of a bankruptcy is your assets. Um, What do you get to keep?
1: Well, for most people in the province of BC, they keep all of their assets when they go through a bankruptcy, and that surprised me when I started to study to become a trustee because I thought well, by definition, don't you lose everything if you're bankrupt? And, well, you know, yeah, if you've got, you know, the jet sea or the boat or the, the, you know, recreational toys, you might have to surrender certain items, but for the vast majority of people, there are provincial exemptions that actually step in to say, you know, it would not be right or just to take every asset away from somebody when they're seeking help for their debts. So in the province of BC, people keep their house Whole furniture. They keep a vehicle. They can keep home equity up to a certain amount. Uh, they can keep their RRSPs up to an unlimited value. Um, their clothing, their work tools, and even certain life insurance policies. If the beneficiary is in their family, you know, parent, grandparent, or spouse, um, all of those things can be kept as someone goes through a bankruptcy. So before someone starts to sell off all of their assets to pay their debt, they need to get some advice on what what really would be at risk.
0: What kind of time is involved in a bankruptcy these days?
1: A lot less than you think, and this is seven. I think we're gonna be good to get through ten. This is great, <laughs> <So> <laughs> I'm less, working less on than it a year for the. <laughs> For the vast majority of people, bankruptcy is over in as little as nine months. So for someone who's never been bankrupt before and is considered a low-income individual, which is less than about $2,400 for a single person, they're in bankruptcy for nine months regardless of the amount of debt, and they're discharged after that period. If you're not low-income, the bankruptcy runs a year longer, so it's 21 months. It's nowhere near the six or seven years most people have heard.
0: I know a lot of people are always worried about credit history and the impact that something like this could have on it
1: that's right so that's kind of the you know the downside that a lot of people focus on when you file a bankruptcy is your credit score essentially gets reset to zero I encourage people to just assume you're going to start to rebuild from a zero base but it's not permanent it's not forever and oftentimes people can rebuild their credit far quicker than if they had just hunkered down and tried to pay off all their debt for the next 15 or 20 years so people typically can recover from a bankruptcy in as little as two to three years after it's finished and it's noted on their credit report for six years after it's finished but people can get a mortgage within two to three years of a bankruptcy if they've done the right steps to rebuild have a good income and have been able to save some money
0: the other cool thing about it or not cool thing i shouldn't that's not the best word but not everybody (laughs) needs to know what what's going on for you as a result it's pretty quiet process
1: That's true as well. So again, the the typical assumption is bankruptcy is a public record. Haven't you seen those notices in the newspaper? It's like, well, if every bankruptcy was in the newspaper, there would be no room for anything else. Um, So it is the case. Bankruptcy is generally very private. It's less than 1% of cases. There has to be any public notification at all. The vast majority of cases, it's just notifying the creditors, the people they owe money to, uh, and then the trustee obviously is aware, but that's where it ends. So that's why someone in your life has probably done this. You have no idea because you weren't required to be involved. And there's still a stigma around owing money. So people generally are pretty private about these things.
0: And talking about money, what's the cost to the person to go into bankruptcy these days?
1: Yeah, it's generally a lot less than what they're paying on their debt. So for someone that's low income in that nine-month scenario we talked about, they pay $200 a month for nine months for a total of $1,800. That's all that they pay. There's nothing they pay extra for taxes being done or for counseling, um, and that's basically it, and that can discharge any amount of debt, get you a fresh start. It's $200 a month for nine months. If your income is higher, then it's calculated based on your income, but it's generally a whole lot better than what you were doing to pay off your debts.
0: So, and, and if you want to learn more about bankruptcy, debt consolidation, really anything to do with this, with this topic, booking an appointment with somebody at Sands & Associates is just probably the best first step you can take. It's confidential. It's a debt consultation with people who are super knowledgeable. You give them a call at 1-800-661-3030 or visit the website at sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. I'm Elaine Scollin. So we're doing one of these comparison pieces, the pros and cons of filing bankruptcy over choosing a credit counseling repayment plan. There's a bunch of them, and we're going to go through them. Credit counseling plans and personal bankruptcy, pretty common debt management options that folks consider if you're in a situation uh, and you're looking for a good solution. The good news about this segment is Blair's going to explain the differences between the two solutions. So can we start, Blair, just talking, sort of give a bit of a brief overview of what a credit counseling repayment plan looks like and what a personal bankruptcy filing looks like?
1: Yes, certainly, Elaine. I'm happy to do the segment today because a lot of people have heard a lot about credit counseling before and maybe they've heard a bit about personal bankruptcy. um, But oftentimes we don't know the nuts and bolts. We don't know the actual details, how they might apply to us in our situation. And how do you choose one over the other? What's going to be your better remedy? So I think today contrasting the two remedies should help people, you know, make a good informed decision for themselves or for someone else in their life that might be having some trouble. So there's a lot of different types of credit counseling programs. But most of them end up doing the same um, eventual output, which is they consolidate all of your eligible debts. So hopefully all of your debts. But we'll talk about that a little bit later um, into one informal settlement plan. So generally a credit counselor is going to put together an offer of a repayment plan to your eligible creditors and they'll approach them on your behalf. So you don't need to go to each person you owe money to, the credit counselor will get your authorization to go creditor by creditor, contact them and see what type of settlement can be made. Your creditors can choose to accept or reject it on an individual basis. Uh, What's important to know is that a credit counseling plan might not cover all of the debts that you have. Um, Usually it'll help with credit. Credit cards or lines of credit. Um, but anybody that won't agree to work with them, even some credit card companies might say, well, we're not interested in this type of settlement. Um, you know, they're just not going to be part of your plan and might need to be repaid separately. Um, and if there's any government debt at all involved, that's always going to be outside of a credit counseling plan. But assuming all of your debt is something that can be eligible to be helped with a credit counselor, what they're going to do is work out for your repayment plan, over a period of a maximum of five years that will require you to pay back 100% of your debt, but it's going to stop all of the interest, stop the finance charges, and then on an agreement basis, stop the creditors from contacting you or threatening you to take you to court or seize your wages or things like that. So it gives you the means if you'd be able to pay back all of your debt in full, 100% of what's outstanding, a credit counseling plan will give you about five years to make all those payments. You don't have to, uh, to restructure the debts in any other way. that's how credit counseling typically works. Uh, If it's a personal bankruptcy, it's a very different legal remedy because where a credit counseling plan is based on considering what's your ability to repay, how much debt is it, divide that debt by 60 monthly payments, you can kind of estimate your your payment there. Uh, Where a personal bankruptcy, it's a federally legislated legal process, so it's not an informal agreement, there's no negotiations here, it's something that's enshrined in law that allows an honest but unfortunate individual to discharge all of their debts basically leave all the debt behind and start again financially and with a bankruptcy you don't need any permission from your creditors or from the court to declare bankruptcy you can't be prevented from getting this relief just because your creditors want to be paid and it's one of only two debt management options in Canada the other being a consumer proposal that can cover virtually all types of debt. So all of your general consumer debt, the credit cards, the lines of credit overdrafts and loans, as well as your government debts like tax debt, student loans, ICBC um, and other debts like that owing to government. So they're different in formality versus informality and where one is a repayment plan, the other is your chance to restructure yourself completely and eliminate all of the debts.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of differences. Um, and and listen, if you want to uh, stop right now from listening any further and know that you need to take some action, and and either call SANS & Associates at 1-800-661-3030 or go to their website, uh, sands-trustee.com, and check out and, and, and look at a few more questions and answers, some great answers on there. They've got pages of good information. And then take some action. That's a terrific thing uh, for you to do at this point. The other big difference between the two of them is just the protection that one offers where the other one doesn't.
1: That's right, Elaine. That's such a key difference. When you're doing a credit counseling program, there's no legal enforcement. There's no basically standing that a counselor has to compel anybody to do anything. So if a, if a creditor doesn't want to work with your credit counseling plan, they don't have to. They can continue to contact you. They can pursue collection actions, court actions against you. Uh, you know, Usually creditors that are part of your plan, they're going to you know agree to take their payments and not take anything else against you. Um, but be aware that not everyone is going to agree from the start, or they could even drop out partway through if they said, well, no, we think this person can actually pay more than what they're doing and we don't want to be a part of this plan anymore. So it's again, it's very informal and it's by negotiation with a personal bankruptcy it's by law. The day that you file a personal bankruptcy, all contact from your creditors has to cease upon filing without negotiation Um, if I hear that one of my clients is getting calls days after bankruptcy that's the first call I make in my day and I keep calling until everyone understands federal law is at play here. It's not me being a bad guy, a good guy, or you being nice or not this is what you must do so creditors generally understand federal law takes priority over anything they can do to try to get paid so that's what's called a stay of proceedings and that gives you the breathing room right a lot of people they just feel so beaten down by owing debt by getting collection calls you know more than 10 times a day in some cases so getting all of that to stop gives to give you peace of mind um, that definitely can have some value to it and even more important than that than sometimes you know the the physical and, and psychological impact, the financial impact, you might have already been sued for your debts. You might be having your wages being seized or assets being seized or being threatened. As soon as you file for bankruptcy, all of that comes to a grinding halt. If you're being taken to court for payment, that stops essentially the next appearance. When you say, I've, see, I've sought relief under the Bankruptcy Act and everything comes to a hold.
0: It's so it's uh, that's such a good thing to mention, too. I just feel like a licensed insolvency trustee really has your back uh, against your debtors, against your um just that awfulness that you feel, the stress of being in this situation. Uh, somebody like Blair and his team are going to be working with you and for you in the broadest sense of the word. They're actually protecting you from all kinds of things and helping you get on that, that, uh, that good path to being debt free. Um, I also love this, the rule of 60 that we're supposed to talk about at this point when it comes to costs and, and fees, et cetera. And it's such a good rule for people to, take a look at their stuff with.
1: Yeah, so the rule of 60 uh, is when you're trying to estimate if I could do a credit counseling plan, if I've got, you know, enough debt trouble that that wouldn't be viable for me, just take your unsecured debt to so take your credit cards, lines of credit, income taxes, whatever it might be, or sorry, not income taxes, credit cards, lines of credit, um, things along those lines, divide it by 60 and then say, is that a payment I could afford? Because that's essentially what your credit counseling payment is going to be. So if it was $30,000 of debt, divide that by 60, well, it's a $500 a month give take. That's what you're going to be looking at um, to deal with with your debts in a credit counseling plan. Um, a bankruptcy is completely different in terms of how your payments are calculated. So where credit counseling is based on you paying back a certain uh, amount of debt at 100% repayment, a personal bankruptcy, it's essentially divorced from the amount of the debt. So it could be a $10,000, $100,000 or a $1 million dollars worth of debt. Uh, what you have to pay in a bankruptcy is all driven by your income. And the government sends out each year what is the lowest income guidelines that determine essentially which scenario someone would fall into if they were to file for bankruptcy. And in 2021, it's roughly around $2,400 of take-home income per month um, as a single person. If someone is earning less than that, regardless of the amount of their debt, if they're in bankruptcy, it's going to be over in nine months. So again, compare that to a five-year repayment plan and credit counseling. The bankruptcy is over in nine months. And what they pay, regardless of the amount of the debt, is $200 for each of those nine months for a total of $1,800. And that's all they would have to pay as part of the bankruptcy proceeding.
0: The thing I want to throw in here, and I know this is right at the end of the, the information for this segment, Blair, is that if somebody's listening and going, okay, well, uh, uh, credit counseling's not going to work for me and bankruptcy, I don't think I need to do that. Also, the license insolvency trustee is the only one that can walk you through a consumer proposal as a, as another third option for you, uh, if you're really wanting to take some action here and, and aren't, aren't comfortable with the other two.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly right, Elaine. So anytime you sit down with a trustee, we're going to evaluate the personal bankruptcy. We're also going to help you understand how a consumer proposal might work. And if you're not sure what a consumer proposal is, just keep listening to our show. We talk about it very regularly. It's a very powerful debt option.
0: I'll also throw in the fact that you can check it out on their website, sands-trustee.com. And if you're wanting to take some action, book that appointment. You can do that online, or you can give them a call at 1-800-661-3030 for that first consultation. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. I'm Elaine Scollin. So here's the question, Blair. If you feel like, and we know that there's lots of folks who, who may be feeling this, despite all the payments that you're making, you just can't seem to get ahead of paying off that debt. And there's lots of folks in that situation. The cool thing about this segment is that we're going to find out, we're going to talk about the different challenges that may be getting in the way of folks in their goal of clearing the debt. So could we, could we start this segment with just talking a little bit about, um, what you do and, and how you help folks who fall into that category?
1: Yeah, certainly, Elaine. So Sands & Associates, it's a firm of licensed insolvency trustees. and That's a mouthful, but what it essentially means is that we help BC residents address their financial challenges, whatever they might be, and usually it relates to overwhelming debt. Um, and we help people become debt-free. We've been doing it in the province of BC since 1990, so we're well over our 30th anniversary. And what's great about working with a licensed insolvency trustee is we're the only people that are empowered and endorsed by the government to help Canadians restructure their debts. So no matter where you might be financially now, for a lot of people, you know, life can happen. There could be some significant setbacks that can really impact them financially. And a licensed insolvency trustee can be your best ally because we can help you understand your legal rights, your remedies, and connect you to resources to help you become debt-free. And if nothing else, we're just going to help educate you so that you understand everything about your situation and what your options are to help you move forward. So every year we help thousands of individuals in B.C. get a financial fresh start.
0: So, I know that education is probably one of the key pieces that you just mentioned.
1: Definitely, Elaine. So what we find is, you know, knowledge is power, and it's what really inspired me to become a trustee is there there were all these remedies for debt that I had to learn about the hard way, you know, trying to help friends or family members who got into trouble. Uh, and the more that I discovered, the more I thought, well, you know, the average person doesn't know this stuff. I didn't know it as, a business, as someone holding a business degree and working at a large accounting firm. So it really is the case people that are in the eye of the crisis, they often don't know where to turn. And it just starts with some education and, of course, with some empathy, you know, to meet someone where they're at, understand their challenges and give them some hope for the future.
0: So are there common challenges that that folks face when they're trying to pay off their debt? My bet is that there that there is there's a whole bunch of things that are similar than different.
1: Absolutely, Elaine. So there's some really classic uh, types of patterns that we see. And for someone listening today, you know, you can see if that rings a bell on a couple of these, you might think, well, hey, maybe having a conversation is a good thing, or at least be armed to know if someone in your life is having these challenges, you know, you can be a resource. Uh, you know, the number one thing that we see that can really get in the way of people paying off debt uh, is the deck is kind of stacked against you if all you're able to do is paying the minimum payment or close to the minimum payment on a credit card, on a line of credit, or, you know even a payday loan, uh, if all you're paying is the minimum payments, you're on kind of a never, never plan. You're never going to stop paying and you're probably never going to be out of debt, unfortunately. And the reason for that is because whatever you pay to your minimum payments, you really want to look at the fine print. And for some of the largest banks in Canada, uh, what your minimum payment is cons- comprised of is your interest, your fees, and $10 that goes to reduce your principal. So you're paying $200, for example, $190 of that might just be, you know, gone, it's interest, it's fees, and your balance went down by $10. So that's where we get some of these numbers that, you know, even a $6,000 debt, which, you know, I'm sure some, some people could see how that could arise if you had a bit of a tough time, that can be 40 plus years of minimum payment, and you would have paid that off, you know, probably four or five times over by the end of it. So the minimum minimum payment trap is probably the number one thing that gets in the way of people getting out of debt
0: now how big a role do credit cards play with people who realize they have a problem but paying or putting stuff on their credit card is has always been the solution before so i'm just going to keep doing that now at least this way i'll only owe one person or one group one amount of money versus all these other people does anybody ever do that
1: Oh, for sure, Elaine, they do. And then it's also the case, some people really get, um, you know, attached to the rewards components of credit cards mm. and say, you know, if I just keep spending, I'm getting air miles or I'm getting, you know, percentage of my cash back. Um, it's never going to offset the interest that you're paying if you're carrying a balance. So you need to be careful about that of getting kind of sucked in and putting all your your spending on your credit card because it becomes harder and harder to manage your spending because it's not immediately you, sit, you see the hit to your bank account. You know, it's probably 21 days or more later where you you get that bill. And then you're looking back and thinking, oh, what, what did I spend there? And what was I thinking? Uh, so what we encourage people to do um, is even for a temporary period of time to really get a handle on spending uh, is just to carry cash. And I know it sounds a little bit strange in, you know, this modern world to say roll with cash. Um, but it's really it's a different emotion when you're putting down, you know, the hard earned bills in your wallet and feeling your wallet that much lighter um, compared to just tapping, um, you know, a card which suddenly, you know, there's a pleasant ding and, you know, you've added some air miles. But that can be a real barrier for people if they carry on using credit. Um, And it's really tough to even manage to a budget because, again, there's that delay when you see the impact of your spending. So one of the things that does keep people in debt is just that cycle of using a credit for everything. And if you start just rolling with cash, uh, you can sometimes very much uh, get control of your overspending if that is the issue.
0: Now, I just want to throw in here, because we're about halfway through in this segment, that if this already describes a little bit of your situation, um, one of the best things that you can do is give Sands & Associates a call and set up that first appointment and just say, Look, this is my situation. What do I do or what do you think would be the best course of action for me? And that number is one eight hundred six six one thirty thirty. 661 3030 What are some of the other scenarios that you see, Blair?
1: Well, another one that we see often is people try to borrow themselves out of a situation. What I mean by that is they'll have some credit, you know, maybe it's on a credit card and they'll get a balance transfer to another credit card. And okay, so maybe they're going from 19 percent to a 5 percent promotional rate. Um, But the challenge can be, you know, first off, there can be transaction costs. So um, I think I got an offer from the bank the other day and it said, oh, you can transfer, um, you know, to a 3 percent promotional interest rate. But when I looked closer, it said there's also a 1 percent fee on the entire balance that's transferred. So I'm like, wow, that's one third of the cost of the interest that you're, you're going to charge me over the next number of months. You want that upfront just for doing the transaction. So you want to be careful about that. But it's also the case. Sometimes people will transfer to a lower interest um, type of debt, and then they'll continue to use the original card that's now got a whole lot of space on it. And then suddenly they've got more debt in total because they have transferred the balance over and then they've had to continue to use that credit card. So be very careful if you're just kind of shuffling money around. And what can be a really terrible idea um, is you know consolidating your debt might sound great you know you go to the bank um, and you get a consolidation loan to put a bunch of credit cards for example together at a lower interest rate but so many people that I speak with the bank will only approve them for a consolidation loan if they bring on a co and that's almost always a bad idea because suddenly you've taken all of this debt that was just your issue and now you've made it someone else's issue as well meaning your co could be held responsible so be very careful if you're just moving credit to credit Uh, It's usually not going to get you to where you want to be.
0: Now, you've kind of answered um, my next question, which was, you know, do most people try to resolve things on their own? And and you just described Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of situations where they do. So here's an opportunity, Blair, I think, just to talk about um, the best course of action for somebody who's heard their situation uh, explained or talked about in this segment. What's the next best thing for somebody to do?
1: Right, Elaine. And you hit the nail on the head there. In our research, it's 95% of people who know they have a debt problem don't reach out right away for help. They often suffer for up to two years. They you know, flail about or they just feel bad. Their health suffers, relationships suffer. So if you are listening, you know, don't delay in getting help. And where that starts with is reaching out to Sands & Associates for a free confidential consultation. Uh, we're doing over the phone, limited in person these days, but uh, over the phone and video meetings, You know, oftentimes same day or even same phone call, we can connect you with a very qualified professional, everybody sleeps better the first night after they finally unloaded a bit of the situation to someone that cares, that can empathize, and that can give them real solutions on how they can move forward to being debt-free.
0: And if you're still unsure and you're not going to take my word for it or Blair's word for it, go to the website as a as a good start. Take a look at the website, sands-trustee.com. It's filled with really good questions, questions that you probably have, and lots of good answers. And then that might be an easy on-ramp for you to then give them a call because you're going to hear that information in more detail and certainly in respect to your own situation. And that number is 1-800-661-333. 30 and get that first free consultation. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates helping you get out of debt. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.